You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 598. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 12th of December, 2023. It's the airline pilot guy. The airline pilot guy. The airline pilot guy. And a French court convicts a pilot for decapitating a skydiver with a plane's wing. Also ahead, more news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 598 is ready for pushback. Thanks, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins. On 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, an almost retired pilot at a major U.S. legacy airline based in Roswell, Georgia, or actually Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from his studio in... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire... Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Lovely to be back on. Uh, Christmas is coming. The geese are getting fat. Please put a penny in the old man's hat. If you haven't got a penny, a hate me will do. If you haven't got a hate me, well, God bless you. <laughs> okay. That's nice. Thank you for that. And uh, also here to try to keep uh, keep us under her mail or finger, or what do you call it? Anyway, from her studio. Thumb. Yeah, Tom, that's it. In Toronto, Ontario, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, much, much more. It's our producer, Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Have a good show, you guys. Thanks, Liz. Thank you, Liz. All right. Well, I think that she's trying to get me to push the button that says news. Stand by for news. All right. Let's start off with this uh, final report. Uh, it was a crash of uh, Alianza DC3. I guess we're going to do this without uh, without Nick yeah. Camacho. Yeah, I thought okay. we were saving this yeah, for Nick. You've got the so. wrong Nick on. Well, maybe you pretend like you're Nick Camacho and you know a lot of. You I know, can't actually, speak that slowly. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I think that uh, it doesn't really matter what kind of airplane it is. You'll see why here in a minute. Um, yeah. Anyway, an uh, Alianza DC-3 at uh, Villa Vicencio on July 8th, 2021. Contact, thank you. Uh, I got to put that in there. Yeah. Uh, contact was lost. 
radar contact. The aircraft has not landed at any airport. This was like shortly after the airplane went missing. They did find it. Not in an airport, though. Um, after the search um, went on, well, first of all, let me tell you about the weather. Um, well, and before that even, I'll tell you <laughs> the local media report, report the crew declared an emergency shortly after departure. No METARs are available for SKVV. The local weather station reported at 8 o'clock local light drizzle, temperature 22 degrees C. Uh, it's about 72 Fahrenheit. Dew point 21. Uh, humidity 94%. Winds from the west-northwest at 7 kph, which is about 4 knots. And uh, there were thunderstorms in the area reported. Colombia's Aerocivil uh, released their preliminary report in Spanish. Reporting at 6.59 local time, the aircraft departed Villa Vicentia's runway 5, which operated according to visual flight rules. However, was in light rain, cleared for the uh, VVC-2A instrument departure. Okay, so that's a a, a published instrument departure. Again, the VVC-2A. Uh, at 7.08, ATC noticed that the aircraft was turning left, leaving the protection of the 15 DME arc around the VVC VOR, which was part of the departure procedure on VVC 2A. ATC re- uh, inquired with the aircraft, however, did not receive a reply. At 7.09, local time radar contact was lost. At 7.19, ELT signals were received, indicating three different locations of the aircraft far apart from each other. Local residents discovered the aircraft on July 10, which was, uh, what, the next day, I think? No, two days later. Um, at an elevation of about 6,000 feet, mean sea level in rocky mountains, covered with 10 to 15 meters, uh, 35 to 50 feet of high trees on a slope of about 60 degrees. The Accident Investigation Commission arrived on scene on July 11th. Flight was to be a training flight. Aircraft was under the command of an instructor pilot. He's 50, he was 59 years old with 16,973 hours total. That's a lot of time. And was flown by a student instructor pilot, 53 years old, with 9,387 hours total. So you get the picture. These guys were um, very experienced. Old hands. Yeah. Yeah, main- certainly not beginners. No. And uh, a maintenance technician, 33 years old, was also on board. The aircraft carried fuel for three hours. Uh, first investigations determined the aircraft impacted terrain at a heading of 073 degrees at a low rate of descent and a high forward speed. A post-impact fire occurred. Okay, uh, the investigation reported the METAR around the time of the crash as, uh, let's see, 2,000 broken, 9,000 scattered, 22C21 for the dew point. Uh, and also light drizzle, 1,500 broken um, at uh, 1,300 hours. So between 12 and 1,300 Z, uh, it was anywhere from 2,000 to 1,500 broken, and then some higher scattered layers. Uh, the re- so the final report uh, concluded that the probable causes of the crash were controlled flight into terrain while performing the IFR VVC2A departure procedure during which the crew turned left contrary to the procedure and headed toward the mountainous area of the foothills of the eastern mountain range until impact. Loss of situational awareness of the crew who, for reasons that could not be determined, 
turned in an apparently controlled manner to the left, contrary to what was indicated on the departure procedure, even though it was an experienced crew familiar with the operation area. So it goes on to um, talk about some other factors, operating standards, lack thereof, um, and planning and supervision of the training flight by the operator. Uh, but I've highlighted a couple of things here, which I thought were particularly um, important. Uh, disregard by the crew of the following procedures for IFR flight. Failure to specify an IFR route and departure procedure in their IFR flight plan. And or failure to request complete authorization from ATC to initiate an IFR flight. At no time did he mention the VVC2A exit, uh, key to the plan verbally proposed by them before takeoff. Uh, I, I don't know if he's talking about the inter-crew communications or communications between the flight and air traffic control. Um, they did not define or request from ATC what standard or other departure procedure they should follow to begin the IFR flight as they would encounter IMC shortly after takeoff. They did not require uh, ATC, uh, let's see, do not require ATC to assign a transponder code before takeoff or in any other phase of the flight, nor select code 2000 when you have not received instructions from the ATC unit to activate the transponder. So who knows what they had in the transponder? They didn't have a, 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 a trans, an IFR transponder code or any code, apparently. Uh, most likely not activating the transponder before takeoff and or verifying its correct operation before takeoff or immediately once the aircraft was in the air. And then, of course, um, the, uh, let's see, I think they were, I thought they were going on with um, air traffic control. Not yet. Okay. Um, insufficient experience and training in uh, instrument flight rules flights for the crew. Since despite their vast experience in the team, much of this had been forgotten in the eastern region of the country, where the vast majority of flights in the DC-3 team were carried out in VMC and under VFR without opportunity for the practical execution of IFR procedures. So parents, apparently they just never really had to use IFR procedures, or hardly ever, ever. Hardly ever, ever. Um, and uh, so they were never. just operating this thing like a VFR flight, apparently. <laughs> but it was IFR, or IMC. Overconfidence of the crew created by factors such as the high flight and DC-3 team experience of the two pilots in the team, their status as team instructor pilots, the relative low operational demands of the flight mission, the knowledge, familiarization, and confidence of the two crew members with the characteristics of the aerodrome, the surrounding area, and especially the peculiarities and risks of the terrain to the west of the takeoff trajectory. And then, of course, air traffic control, uh, they faulted them for not complying with uh, following procedures related to the IFR flight. And failure to issue a full clearance to the aircraft for IFR flight prior to the start of the flight or at any other time, and failure to provide the aircraft with a standard instrument departure procedure or clearance, a SID or some other safe departure procedure. At no time did ATC mention uh, for them to fly the VVC2A departure procedure, uh, the key to carrying out the plan verbally proposed by the crew. So, <laughs> I guess bottom line here is they just got in this airplane, even though the weather was not the normal visual meteorological conditions that they're used to, uh, and just didn't bother with any of the things that we would, 
well, we as professional airline pilots, uh, Part 121 and the equivalent, um, all of the Part 135s and everything, uh, they're going to do IFR flight. They have to file an IFR flight plan and they have to get a clearance to actually do the flight. And then when air traffic control clears you for takeoff, they clear you to depart via a certain procedure, hopefully the one you filed, or at least the one you were cleared uh, before you started engines and started taxiing. So, wow, just like a, a huge number of balls that were dropped here oh, in balls. this flight. And Funyuns. it looks like they just, Funyuns. oh yeah, the Funyun. Uh, the Funyuns weren't, uh, well, did line up sadly for them. And uh, yeah, if you look at, I don't, uh, I wasn't looking at the the window, uh, Liz, were you showing some of the trajectory of the flight yep. and the terrain yep. and all that? Yeah. And then you look at the SID and you see that, you know, that 15 DME arc uh, that arcs to the right. Uh, or I'm sorry, no, it actually arcs. What does it do? Yeah, arcs to the right to keep them away yeah, from the arcs terrain. Yeah, it looks weird. You get airborne yeah. or more or less on the 15 DME arc because mm-hmm. the VOR is some distance to the east of you. Uh, and then you just fly around the V, the 15 DME arc until you reach that triangle, mm-hmm. which is called a Vidal. And then you turn northerly mm-hmm. and go up that safe lane. Because if you carry on ahead, you're in a safe sector or a, a sector where the safety altitude is 14,400 feet. That's high. Uh, if you follow this procedure, the safety altitude is around 6,100. So that's obviously why that procedure has been drawn up to keep you in the, the low altitude safety uh, area. So uh, you don't fly into something solid. They got big mountains there in that area of the, of the world. They uh, do. They, uh, they do indeed. It's, um, it's a bit distressing, really, because uh, I, I look at this and I think they were, they were doing a training flight. I'm assuming it was uh, an instrument flying training flight uh, from two guys who apparently were uh, not particularly au fait or not current with a lot of instrument flying techniques. But if you're um, doing a, an instrument training flight, then... Presumably, you're trying your best to uh, follow the correct procedures um, for what you're about to do. And uh, they kind of didn't. They they set off just meandered northerly until they flew into terrain that uh, they <laughs> was higher than them. I just don't understand what the plan was. And by the looking at the at the analysis, there wasn't a plan and that was the problem. Yeah. I mean, that could all be distilled down to that. There was no plan or if there, there was one, it wasn't well executed. Um, Indeed. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you what, that looked a nice aeroplane. What was left of it? I saw mm-hmm. that it was in D-Day markings. It was obviously a historic aircraft uh, and, yeah. um, you know, very sad that they lost their lives. Very sad that they destroyed such a lovely, historic, and valuable airplane. Yeah. Fortunately, Jeff. there weren't any, um, you know, innocent uh, passenger victims involved in this as well. They uh, they weren't that far away from the airfield because they sort of uh, got the um, emergency locator beacons 10 minutes after they lost radar contact. Um, and, uh, it, but it took them 
two days to find the aircraft. And I'm going, wow, <laughs> that must be some pretty inhospitable terrain up there yeah. if it took them two solid days to find them. And there was obviously a, a post-crash fire, which you'd have thought would have marked out uh, you know, their position quite clearly. But there you go. Yeah. Um, let's uh, move on then to our next news item. Uh, Baltic B, well, this is from uh, Aviation Herald. I believe the last one was as well. Um, Baltic uh, BCS3 at uh, Palanga on July 1st, 2023. Uh, high rate of descent below minimum safe height. Approach continued. An Air, Air Baltic Bombardier C-Series, CS300, registration Yankee Lima Charlie Sierra Alpha, performing flight 375 from Riga, Latvia, to Palanga, Lithu Lithuania, was on approach to Palanga's runway 19, about to perform an ILS approach. About 11.5 nautical miles before the runway, at 2,000 feet, the crew activated the uh, APP um, autopilot mode, approach mode on the autopilot. The descent rate increased to 2,950 feet per minute below 1600 feet yikes <laughs> that's oh wow you're not that's about that 30 fun. seconds before you hit the ground <laughs> yeah that's not very, that's not a good idea uh the crew disconnected the autopilot i guess they didn't feel it was a good idea either uh, they, crew, they disconnected the autopilot <laughs> at 1465 feet agl according to uh, radio altitude the uh, rate of descent decreased to 500 feet per minute before increasing again below 1,200 feet AGL, nine, nine nautical miles before the runway threshold while extending the landing gear. The aircraft descended below 1,000 feet AGL at 133 knots indicated. At 860 feet AGL, the gear was completely extended. Eight nautical miles. This is a long way out, people, if, if you're not familiar with like the normal places for these things to occur. Uh, eight nautical miles before the runway threshold at 216 knots indicated. Flaps one were selected. The descent rate stabilized at 700 feet per minute for about 25 seconds, followed by a climb of about 1,500 feet per minute up to 1,300 feet, which the aircraft maintained for about 40 seconds. Now, just to pause here for a moment. Uh, so now we're at, what are uh, they doing Jeff? I don't know at 1300. So, so at, let's see, uh, what was the last, uh, distance that I just called at eight miles. That yeah. should be like 2,100 feet, um, above the ground, right? About that time on a three, 300 feet per nautical mile. Well, 24, 2,400 feet. Oh, I'm sorry. 2,400 feet. Yeah, I'm yep. not good at math, <laughs> apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. hey, let me get but the I can drive my tractor. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so they're way below where they're supposed to be at this point. Um, so they just leveled off at 1,300 feet, probably realizing, you know, we probably shouldn't be this low, this far away from the airport. Um, no, that, and what's more, the speed has gone from 133 knots up to 200 and was it 16? 216. No. So they, oh, I think maybe you have to remember to pull the power back. <laughs> yes. They've diving to the ground and they've gained 80 knots and then they've zoomed back up and all on instruments, all in cloud, I assume. Yeah. And so wow. this is uh, what I would not define as a stabilized approach, <laughs> really, at any point. 
uh, five <laughs> nautical miles before the runway threshold, the aircraft began to descend again, still being more than two dots below the glide path. Okay, the glide, pla- glide path Ouch. on your instrument, you know, you got if you're centered on that center dot of the of the glide path, um, you know, you're where you're supposed to be. A dot below is you know you should be. Uh, you should be worried a little bit, like, oh, i got to get that thing back up to where we're supposed to be on that yeah, slope. Yeah, if, if you're a dot out, you're not yeah. doing a very good job. No. And then two dots out, and for <laughs> many, many operators, I mean, <laughs> at that point, that you're you're done. If you can't maintain yeah. within two dots, especially Neil that Landworm far out. Neil Landworm has a question. You know. Oh, Neil Landworm in our live audience thinks that maybe they were setting up for a bombing run. <laughs> could be although this is a uh a scheduled air, airline uh carrier so probably not anyway the aircraft uh descended below or through 1000 feet above ground level again at 900 feet per minute okay and uh 2.1 dots below the glide slope at uh so there's still two, more than two dots below the glide slope at 135 knots a uh TAWS a terrain awareness Warning warning uh, system. system. Warning sounded. The aircraft leveled off at 880 feet. The trajectory was corrected at two and a half miles before the runway threshold. And the aircraft continued for a safe landing in the runway's touchdown Where, zone. Whereupon they all congratulated themselves for a job well done. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> nice. High five. Yeah, yeah that we was, cracked that one. Yeah. Way to go, man. Uh, yeah. According to information the Aviation Herald received, the crew was aware of possibly false localizer signals at Palanga, according to NOTAMS. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. However, yep. uh, they did not discuss this possibility during their approach briefing. Hmm. Uh, nah. Why bother? Yeah. Disgusting. It's no big deal to get a false localizer signal and your airplane start descending like way before it should and at a much higher rate than it should. Um yeah, so uh, when the crew activated the approach mode, the aircraft captured a false localizer signal, uh, actually a false glide slope signal, immediately followed by, oh, okay. First it, <laughs> first it captured a false localizer signal, immediately followed by capturing a false glide slope signal, sending the aircraft into a steep dive. The crew disconnected the autopilot at about 3,000 feet per minute sink rate and initiated recovery. The aircraft reached a Minimum height of 800 feet, two nautical miles offset from the extended runway center line. Oh, okay. So they were, they were even, they weren't even aligned with the runway. Wow. And hmm. about nine nautical miles before the runway threshold. Due to loss of situational awareness, yeah, the crew did not in- initiate a go around, but continued the approach. Due to terrain, there are constraints to the approach procedure designs. Okay. And then the weather, as you mentioned, um, Captain Nick, um, not, not too, well, let's see, overcast, uh, f- anywhere from 46 broken to 4,600 broken to 5,500 overcast. That oh, just okay. tells me so they, they were could, below the darn ceiling. They could see the ground. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's even more Damn. concerning really to me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, what do you do if you know you're coming into somewhere where you're likely to get false localizer and false glide path signals? Well, you you, mm. you can get them almost anywhere, but some places are particularly prone to them, depending on the terrain and the the aerial positioning, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and one of the 
one of the vital things that you do when you know that you're likely to pick up a false localizer is confirm that you're on the correct localizer or correct glide path by doing a check. Because you've got to huh. compare it against something to know. <laughs> what? And, and I've I, never heard of this. Fact, <laughs> no, of course not. It's a new secret thing I've just come oh, up okay. with. And it, it's the Anderson the, procedure. The, um, the rate of descent of nearly 3,000 feet a minute didn't give them a clue because obviously uh, if you've got a false glide path and you've intercepted it from above, you're going to pick up one that's much steeper than the actual one. So, you know, you'd expect on a false glide path to have a very high rate of descent. So that obviously didn't ring any alarm bells or ring enough alarm bells. But the thing then you do is do a height check at the final approach fix, mm -hmm. which is... Uh, in this case, at it looks like 5.4 miles. Right. And it's marked by a funny-looking little uh, cross, uh, like a German iron cross, but twisted a yeah, little like bit. like a Maltese cross. Uh, yeah. Oh, there you go. And uh, in this case, uh, 5.4 miles, 1,300 feet. It's a hard altitude. You're not allowed to hit that fix above or below that height. You've got to be at that height. Uh, and so if, if you're going below that height and you're not yet at 5.4 miles or you are at 5.4 miles and you're above or below, you, you've got the wrong damn glide path. In which case, at that point, you go around uh, because it's all gone to rubbish and um, you think to yourself, well, I'm not going to mess about. I'll fly another approach and we'll do it you more carefully and make sure we do all the checks. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And a sensible person, as you've already indicated, Jeff, uh, does height checks per mile if you're yeah. in an area where your uh, ILS beam uh, is prone to um, giving you false indications. So, yeah. quite right. Uh, three, um, sorry, one mile per uh, 300 feet. And you can do a little uh, little clock if you want, if that's the technique you like to do, where you draw the clock code and um, you add uh, 300 feet for each one, uh, or you can just work it out manually. You'd write down each mile and add 300 feet to it. So you can check it against the DME, the distance measuring equipment, and just confirm that everything is good with your glide path. None of which this crew seemed to have briefed or done. Yeah, and so, you know, we mentioned the the their airspeed, and then, you, you know, based on whatever the winds are, you can kind of get a rough idea of what your ground speed is and there's a nice little chart on these instrument approach procedure charts that uh, show you based on your your um, ground speed uh, you can tell you know how much time it's going to take from your final approach fix to your your missed approach point and also um, you know the uh, the rate of descent and the uh, how many feet per minute so in this case i think he should have been around 625 to 730 feet per minute for this uh glide slope uh so anytime you're anything more than 700 feet per minute unless you know you're slightly above your glide slope you don't want to increase it and especially when you're getting low to the ground you don't want to go anything more than 1000 feet per minute but there were a couple points in in this narrative that said that they were significantly higher uh, descent rates than 1,000 feet per minute. Uh, so, yeah. you know, but that's some more information. But I think the, the best information is what you're talking about, Nick. And it's something I always brief when, and, and even if it's visual conditions, 
We'll talk about the the localizer course and the localizer intercept altitude. And then I look at the final approach fix and they always print what altitude, if you're on a good, valid glide slope signal, this is what you should be as you cross this final approach fix or some point along the uh, the, the final approach in. And that's what I call a glide slope check. And it's the glide slope check altitude. And usually it, yep. it's coincident with your final approach fix altitude and the, where you intercept the glide slope. Not always, but uh, usually it's, yeah. it's the same. We and, used to have a call. So the pilot flying would say final fix and the pilot monitoring would say 1,300 feet height check good. Perfect. So he would check it against the chart and make yeah. sure that you're at the correct height uh, as you pass it. And it, it just it, – every day you'd do that. Every approach you'd do that. Yeah. I don't understand uh, and then if there's any concern, you'd make a point of it. Right. You would, you yeah. know, especially want to do that. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. kind of crazy. I don't know so what. This was uh, not good piloting, right? Not, not good piloting or at least not good piloting um, uh, operating procedures. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't a know. A bit of a concern. I mean, I'm very glad that they uh, had the kit on board to tell them that they were getting dangerously Mm -hmm. low. So their tours went off uh, and they went around eventually and they made a... Oh, they didn't actually, did they? They, No. They they leveled off for a while. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They leveled off for a while and they went, oh, that looks better. Let's have another go. (laughs) When they got a lot closer because they were so darn low, they probably would have seen the uh, runway way further out. But since they were kind of, you know, doing the uh, scud running or whatever, uh, they were the low angle, (laughs) uh, they, oh, hey, look, (laughs) there's a runway. Okay. Oh, look, I can see the runway now. Yeah, good thing they didn't hit any towers or any other obstacles between you know well, that low altitude they're, they're, yeah exactly yeah because uh, there was, was an obstacle on their approach but 150 they, no 2150 z and i would imagine that area of the world would be so it was, it was probably dark um july though it's at, oh, right at july? the height of the oh summer. never mind that would probably not dark then. might be quite bright, i don't know what the offset yeah. is to utc <laughs> they're there. quite north yeah i don't know anyway mm-hmm. Regardless of whether it was, you know, night or day, you know, you should have uh, used procedures to keep yourself from getting into the situation. They didn't. That's why we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Indeed. So don't do that if you're out there flying. Ever again. All that stuff we just talked about, don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. All right, continuing on, uh, Aviation Herald again. Um, This is an incident that occurred on the 20th of October, 2022. So a little over a year ago. Uh, Amelia, uh, or Fly Amelia, uh, Embraer ERJ-145, registration Foxtrot Hotel Yankee Oscar Golf, performing flight 8R-1217 from Rodez, Rodez to Paris Orly, France, with 39 passengers, three crew, landed on Paris Orly's runway 25. However, went off the runway. The aircraft came to a stop. With all gear on soft ground, there were no injuries. The BEA have dispatched four investigators on site. Well, they did a little over a year ago. On October 27, 2022, the BEA reported during landing at night, the airplane left the runway longitudinally. In other words, it went off the end of it. Rated the damage to the aircraft minor and the occurrence a serious incident. 
on December 5, uh, 2023, so just a few days ago, about a week ago, uh, they released the final report in French only. And of course, Simon's not really happy about that. <laughs> um, and uh, they came up with this, uh, probable causes, uh, lack of sharing of doubts and concerns by each flight crew member causing absence of a common project. So in other words, I guess I didn't discuss the the risks uh, that uh, they could uh, encounter during this landing. Breakdown of crew coordination during descent and approach, in particular, failure to respect the differences of roles of pilot flying and pilot monitoring. Now, I have not read the report because, of course, I don't speak French or read French, so I couldn't have anyway, but they must go into some detail about what was happening between the role of each crew member and the fact that they this cooperation between them broke down. Um, evolution towards an autocratic, autocratic cockpit with the tendency of the captain overstepping his role as pilot monitoring and the first officer as pilot flying, accepting this development without seeking to has, assert himself. Okay, so the I guess the captain's kind of telling the first officer to, what, what to do and when to do it, and the uh, first officer's probably not asserting himself, saying, hey, Let's, we're a crew here. Let me fly the airplane. Of course, at this point, I think, is when I would uh, kind of let go of everything and say, okay, Captain, you have the aircraft. <laughs> it's right. your airplane. Over to you. Um, absence of uh, any attempt to recapture the expected synergy, despite the common CRM deterioration. Incomplete management of errors and threats, uh, TEM, in a stormy, uh, evolving situation, in particular, Failure to identify possible runway limitations, downwind and crosswind conditions in a thunderstorm environment prone to wind shears and showers. Okay, so the weather wasn't very good. The crew's inappropriate management of trajectory and energy leading them to intercept the glide slope from above with an aircraft that was too fast. Okay, those things together, no good. You know, if you're above and you're too fast, I mean, now you have excess energy continuation of the approach despite most of the stabilization criteria not met and a TAS terrain too low alert that was triggered. And they continued the landing despite um, <laughs> despite the terrain too low alert and despite the fact that they touched down long. Ouch. Yeah. What's going on <laughs> out here? Come on, people. Greg Peterson uh, has a comment there, Jeff. Uh, Greg Peterson in our live audience says the, the lawn dart trying to get back to its natural natural habitat. What they call the 145 a lawn dart? I, I know that we used to call the uh, F-16 uh, a lawn dart. Um, but I've never heard the 145 referred to that. But that Brad, has, it, Brad has a comment too. Oh, Jeff. Brad, uh, the Sultan of Wings in our audience says Captain Pepe Le Pew <laughs> may have been distracted and not focused on the approach and landing. Well, well apparently he was focusing on berating the first officer and how he wasn't flying and apparently maybe he had some reason to <laughs> sounds like the poor guy wasn't doing a, a splendid job in managing his his uh glide path and energy uh yeah what do you think captain nick um just a recipe i for always hate it when i see that uh, crm has deteriorated then you've got a a belligerent and uh, autocratic uh captain uh, who's overstepping his role, trying to uh, treat the first officer perhaps uh, as a bit of an autopilot, ordering him to do this, that, and the other to fix. 
And the first officer um, not asserting himself and uh, not saying, look, I'm not doing a very good job here. Uh, I need some <laughs> help or you fly it. Um, you know, so I it just it just concerns me. And then, of course, having got to a situation where they didn't hit any of the stabilized approach criteria, not ordering a go around. I, I say there's little uh, in the way of mitigation for uh, the captain. I obviously the first officer was flying the approach, but I suspect he might have been browbeaten into making mistakes. We can all. Um, if you really turn it on to another pilot and start berating him, uh, any pilot will, his technique, his skill levels will drop through the floor. And if yeah, you've got, got a captain, yeah, if you've got a captain that is doing that, is behaving badly, uh, the first officer is going to struggle to fly well. It takes a really strong character to you know, buckle down and, and do a good approach regardless uh, when someone's being a bit of a an idiot in the other seat. So mm -hmm. um, it doesn't surprise me if uh, the approach went to uh, rubbish. Uh, it does surprise me that um, one of them didn't initiate a go-round. There you go. Right. Again, you know, another, you know, the previous one, same thing. Like, hello, at what yeah. point is somebody going to say, yeah. hey, you know, this doesn't look like uh, we're, we're performing the way we should here. Maybe we should go around and get this all sorted out and try it again. Yeah, <laughs> Unless indeed. the airplane's on fire or they're running out of fuel. I mean, there's really no excuse not to. No, no, exactly right. Now, uh, Liz, our yes, producer sir. in the uh, background here, do, you, do we want to save this for Dr. Yes. Steph? Yeah, we'll save that for Steph. Okay. Sure. All right. Well, um, we can move on then to this next item. Um, uh, does Trevor Jacob have his pilot's license? And this YouTube channel, Dan Milliken, uh, YouTube channel uh, Taking Off, uh, does a great job of kind of using both terms, license and certificate, because here in the USA, uh, and I've mentioned it several times, not that I care, you know, to me, they're almost an interchangeable term, license pilot's license or a pilot certificate because most of the world uh, pilots have licenses but here in the u.s we just have certificates and the difference is kind of the the legal aspects of these things where the faa without without a legal process can yank our certificate we can, or take it away from us yeah. um, whereas i think if you have a license it's a little bit more of an involved procedure more of a judicial legal kind of a procedure um, but regardless of that, um, the, he, uh, Dan Milliken at taking off and, uh, and Dan, if you're watching this or somebody told you that we were playing a little bit of your video, um, I, I know I didn't get permission from Dan to do this, so we'll just play little snippets of it, but because I didn't, uh, I want everybody to be aware of his channel because it's very good. Many of you probably already subscribed to it, but again, it's taking off and we'll have, um, a, link in our show notes so you can go over there and you said you can subscribe and like <laughs> which is um we don't usually ask you to do that for us because we're not using uh the video as our primary flat platform but he is and he's got a whole bunch of subscribers which is a great thing uh, and that's how they they get revenue um and um yeah so it would help 
that if you're listening to our show that you go over there and subscribe to his channel, help his uh, analytics and uh, the algos uh, for him. The but, algos. Uh, so the reason why I want to play this is that we had uh, a, a, was it last episode? Um, yes, it Liz? was. Last we were talking episode. about Correct. the fact that that he was uh, fined a certain amount of money, and I'll, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more uh, later. Uh, but uh, also a federal prison sentence of just six months, and as Captain Nick pointed out on the last episode, that uh, the reason it wasn't more than that was because it was he was basically convicted for uh, uh, in what hindering the investigation by mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. taking the airplane and bringing it back via helicopter to the airport and then cutting it up and and you know dismantling the thing and throwing it away <laughs> and trying pieces. to hide it <laughs> yeah obvious well no I'm, I'm sure there must have been some other reason nick <laughs> uh, than, than trying to hide it uh so uh that was the 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 prison sentence that he was uh, awarded um but the thing that happened right before we covered the news item was the fact that he just put out um, relatively recently another video uh, showing that he was up flying again, and and people thought, wait a minute, I didn't, I thought his his uh, certificate was uh, revoked, revoked, and uh, he couldn't, you know, regain another certificate. Well, apparently, uh, there's a lot of legal stuff involved in this and you have the FAA doing an investigation the NTSB doing a parallel investigation as well and uh, so it's a, it's kind of a big mess so what we're going to do is play a little bit of his video because Dan does a, a great job of kind of a, explaining some of this um this stuff. The FAA completed their investigation and on April 11th, 2022, issued an emergency revocation of Jacob's pilot certificate. And under the agreement between Jacob and the FAA, he would not be able to reapply for a pilot's license certificate until February 11th, 2023, 10 months. The big question going around the aviation social media boards is does Trevor Jacob really have his pilot certificate back? I have confirmed with the FAA that Jacob's application is working its way through the standard practice and that he does indeed have a temporary airman certificate. So yes, Jacob can legally fly again right now. He received his temporary certificate on June 17th, 2023 after completing a check ride with DPE Clifton Schumann. That's the FAA's case. They ruled a revocation and Jacob walked out the punishment and has now been given a second chance to fly. Now, here's an interesting point. In the plea agreement of April 2023 that Trevor Jacob signed, paragraph 16 reads, the prohibition that defendant shall not apply for a pilot's license of any type. And I've asked the USAO if they view this latest development, Jacob applying for and receiving his private pilot certificate as a violation of the plea agreement. But the answer is that the paragraph deals with his right of appeal and basically meant that if the court had taken away his ability to apply for a certificate, he would be unable to appeal that decision. However, the court at the end made no such order. I'm adding something in the editing. The United States Attorney's Office actually wrote to the court this, given the nature and seriousness of defendant's offense conduct and the circumstances surrounding that conduct, in essence, 
intentionally crashing an airplane and obstructing the subsequent federal investigation of the crash, defendant should not be allowed to pilot any aircraft during his term of supervised release or, if applicable, any term of probation. The government strongly objects to defendant being able to exercise the privileges of a licensed pilot during his term of supervised release or probation. The recklessness and risk created by defendant's conduct run directly counter to a licensed pilot's responsibilities. Unfortunately, the judge did not see it this way and has allowed Trevor Jacob to regain his pilot's license. One more point on the revocation. Jacob intentionally crashed a plane by bailing out of it, leaving it to land wherever and on whomever might be below. And yes, it was a forest, so likely nobody under it. But you can't ever be 100% sure. So the FAA, for that incredibly dangerous act, took his certificate away for 10 months. I remember the time early in my pilot life when I got called into the FISDO and and I lost some sleep in previous nights leading up to that. But really, if that's the worst that the FAA can do, it appears pretty toothless, unless you're taking medical issues. A friend had a physician put down something wrong, and they almost never got their medical, almost never got to be able to fly. So the FAA has plenty of teeth there. You can maybe take one medicine too many, never fly. You can bail out of a plane, crash it wherever. And, well, okay, we won't get into that. You just let me know what you think. <laughs> there you go. Good point. Um, yeah, excellent. Isn't that, point. isn't that the irony of this whole thing? We we you know we we've, yep. we've dealt with uh, the last several episodes the the FAA um, medical certification process, and if you lose your certification, how sometimes you'll never ever regain it, and so that's basically a lifetime sentence. And somebody goes up crashes a perfectly good airplane just so that he gets more uh, gets a viral video and more likes and more clicks and more money eventually i guess uh and he gets a slap on the a literal slap on the wrist he's going to be going to a, a minimum security federal facility in lompoc california or somewhere uh in california so it's going to be very it's almost going to be like uh detention at at high school basically. And, uh, for six months and, uh, yeah, the, isn't that odd? I mean, that's one of those things I guess I should have pointed out is, you know, the, the even though in the legal document, they use the term licensure, uh, that's not correct. It's a certification. And that's one of those things where the FAA can, can revoke a certificate certification or a certificate, uh, but they can also grant it, um, if they want to, uh, regardless of what, the legal process says about it. Obviously the, the legal people are going, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like we don't want you to give him a certificate. And the FAA goes, well, okay, we're, we're going to give it to him anyway. That's just, it's just whole, the whole thing's crazy. I think. I, indeed, I completely out of proportion as well, because, uh, you know, you, we know lots of guys who are trying to become professional pilots and they've got a hiccup with their medical uh, and as a result they're spending a lot of money and a lot of worry uh, trying to get problems solved some of which are completely nonsensical they're you know they're perfectly fit people um, and yet this guy just seems to be flying in the face of 
all good common sense, uh, all legal requirements uh, and attitudes you should have as a professional pilot uh, and getting away with it. I just don't understand how it can happen. I don't understand how the judge can uh, override what the FAA see as being the correct uh, procedure, denying him the, the right to fly but then again i'm you know i don't understand american legal systems so obviously there is a hierarchy there (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i think someone needs to get a grip of this because the publicity uh, involved in this uh, is just making the faa look damn silly but then honestly you know Maybe it's just those of us that are involved in the aviation community are aware of the buffoonery uh, going on here, and uh, the, the general public maybe has no no idea, and they don't really care. Perhaps uh, you might I be don't right. Know if that's the case or not. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Talking about buffoonery, let's talk about uh, Canada. I'm You're surprised that she's not yelling at me through the back no, channel. No, like, sorry, I'm making a slide on the fly. Oh, here. she's doing a making a slide on the fly. Do I need to uh, to vamp a little bit, or is it a slide nope, for nope, this? No, 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 you're good. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Uh, so let's continue with this uh, from Paddle Your Own Canoe. No, don't paddle somebody else's. Paddle your own canoe. Indeed. Um, Air Canada to test self-heating de-icing strips that could revolutionize winter air travel and slash delays. Now, this is interesting, I think. Air Canada is to become the first airline in the world to test what is being built as a revolutionary way to de-ice aircraft with the use of self-heating strips that are permanently attached to key areas of the plane, like the wings and tail fin. For decades, airlines have had to rely on environmentally unfriendly chemicals like uh, propylene or ethylene glycol, propylene or ethylene glycol to de-ice aircraft by first removing ice and then preventing it from building up while the plane taxis for takeoff. De-icing is a crucial process for airlines operating in sub-zero operating conditions because if ice remained on the wings during takeoff, it would disrupt the smooth flow of air over the wings, which is crucial for generating lift. Ooh, I'm impressed with whoever's writing this. They actually know what they're talking about that's pretty, uh, pretty it's cool. that gpt thing program i think yeah it's one of the yeah. latest versions of chat gpt uh, yeah. as many travelers will have unfortunately experienced the current method of de-icing which requires large trucks to spray the wings tail fin and sometimes the fuselage with chemicals is slow and often leads to delays because the process can only start when the plane's fully boarded and ready to depart Air Canada, however, is preparing to install a brand new electromagnetic de-icing system on one of its Airbus A320 series aircraft, the first airline worldwide to install the technology. Developed by Boston-based company De-Ice. That's a very clever name for for a company. I wonder how much that cost them. Uh, (laughs) De-Ice. The new system consists of tape-like strips that are attached to the exterior of the plane and connected by wires to a control unit inside. Once activated by the pilot, the strips system generates high-frequency current, causing electrons in the surface of the plane to jiggle. This process (laughs) creates enough heat. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I love that. It's jiggling. Uh, kind of like on your if you have a if you have an iPhone uh, and you you know you press and hold the um, the little icon on your screen and they they all start yeah all the apps start jiggling. Oh Um, right, that's I'm sure that you can. 
think of some other uh, analogy with jiggling, but we're not going to do that. Not going to go there? Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, family show. Uh, This process creates enough heat to melt snow and ice and make the planes safe to fly in harsh winter conditions without any chemicals involved in the process. Importantly, the uh, de-ice system can be switched on during passenger boarding so that as soon as the door is shut, the plane is ready to push back and take off straight away. Uh, The existing method of de-icing, which hasn't changed in decades, can take between 30 to 45 minutes per aircraft, sometimes longer, although delays can stretch on for much longer if there are lots of aircraft waiting to be de-iced. The company de-ice says airlines shouldn't be concerned about the extra weight that their system might add to the aircraft because they're using a semiconductor called gallium nitride that can generate the high-frequency current required with equipment far lighter than traditional methods. The company was spun out of a MIT, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, in 2015 by Alexander Bratianu Bade, who set about trying Ding. to create a novel new aircraft de-icing system after experiencing annoying winter air traffic delays. Along with eliminating chemicals from the de-icing process, the new system will also help airlines cut CO2 emissions by reducing the amount of time that planes are running their engines on the ground while waiting to be de-iced. They're going green. They're going green. We're going to take care of the earth. We're going green. Oh, yeah. There we go. So... This is a pretty, a pretty cool idea. Um, I hope it works. Well, I like it. Yeah. Did you know that gallium nitride is a binary uh, three-stroke five direct bang gap semiconductor? That's Everybody well suited for that. high power transistors, capable of yeah. operating at high temperatures. Uh, gives well, of course, you didn't know that. Blue light used for disc reading and Blu-rays, and is a light emitting ah. diode. Uh huh. So there well, they- you go. The little uh, charger I have uh, on my power strip here that's powering or charging some of my uh, devices is, uh, I believe, gallium nitride technology from Anchor. Interesting. And Neil I noticed Lamorne that. Neil uh, Lamorne says it's very expensive. It is very expensive, uh, mm-hmm. Neil Lamorne mm-hmm. says. Um, yeah, there, it was a little bit more than your normal charger. Um, and I noticed that uh, Nick was. Um, because I can see what he's doing when I'm looking at Evernote. He, he was like um, highlighting uh, the gallium nitride. He's going to look that up. <laughs> Indeed, I did. <laughs> I see what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the th- I don't quite understand, um, one, how this works, uh, particularly it if jiggles. it's very expensive, because of the restrictions on getting your wings and tailplanes and fin, et cetera, clear of uh, ice and snow and even frost are, are quite restrictive, certainly uh, in my experience, um, so, such that the entire upper surface of the wing needed to be clear, even if it was just frost. And uh, the lower surface, we were allowed to have a, a very small, fine layer of uh, frost uh, but nothing else no ice no nothing so effectively you're going to have to cover the entire upper surface of the wing both wings and a lot of the lower surface and of course uh, the fuselage has to be clear uh, as well as the tail so basically you're going to have to stick this tape over the entire airplane and if it's very expensive like Neil Lamborn says are they going to be able to afford it 
And what ends when it starts peeling off? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a concern probably. Uh, but, you know, as far as de-icing is concerned, that's not cheap either. I mean, the amount no, of money no, that airlines true. spend every year on de-icing fluids is crazy. I mean, I, I think I heard the figure like tens of thousands of, of dollars, U.S. dollars, for um, any kind of a large airplane like a 757 up to the, you know, the big wide bodies can yeah. be – you know, upwards of twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars for each just time. The, yeah. Each time they de-ice, yeah. And I'd so love I'd, to you know, he, he, hear some more about this and uh, yeah, me too. See just how much it costs and how feasible it is. I mean, for a company like Air Canada, where they're working up in the wilds of the northern half of America, uh, you know, you can just imagine it. All that snow and ice and dreadful temperatures. It might be very useful for them. But for the majority of airlines uh, who might get hit by snow once or twice a year, I can't see them wanting to go to the expense of fitting one of these. Yeah, I guess maybe it's just um, you got to look at all the, you know, your past spend on de-icing fluid and, you know, what the effectiveness is. uh, This is going to be something that's going to be 100% effective or maybe – Maybe 60, 70% of the time you can use this system, but there are times, like you're saying, that uh, the, the snowfall is so heavy that there's no way that unless you have the whole darn airplane wrapped in this tape, yeah. that, that it would be effective. So maybe they'll have to, they'll yeah. just have to, you know, sometimes use normal de-icing uh, in certain conditions. And uh, Of course, it occurs to me that... Um, if, uh, the aircraft that are made mainly out of carbon fiber, um, you have got this this Faraday's cage. Uh, there's usually a copper layer uh, that runs through the carbon fiber to conduct electricity if you get struck by lightning. Um, why don't you just put a couple of terminals on that and run oh, a few hundred reverse. volts through it <laughs> and just <laughs> well. heat up that layer of copper until the airplane gets nice and toasty warm? And that would do the same thing, wouldn't it? I don't know. Wow. I I don't know. If you're out there, you're an engineer, especially <laughs> an electrical engineer, let us know, really. I mean, that. Do, well, I mean, yeah. it sounds like it'd be a reasonable thing, but uh, there must be some reason why they're not doing that. Yeah, Maybe they, uh, the airplanes keep blowing up when they try it. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Don't have to worry about the ice anymore. It probably delaminates the we'll uh, carbon fiber. keep our yeah, eyes probably. peeled for the test results. Yeah. Pardon me? We'll have to keep our eyes peeled for the test results. Yes, we'll keep our eyes peeled for the peeling snow and ice. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I do um, like the concept. Yeah, me too. That's that's. I love kind of thinking outside the box kind of uh, concepts. Okay. Uh, next item from msn.com. Texas and LaShock sent it in. Super, oh, this is sent to us by Texas and LaShock. Supersonic jet startup boom technology looks to December test flight this month. Uh, they said that an investment from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia has taken its total fundraising to $700 million, with billions more needed. Um, Saudi Arabia's NEOM Investment Fund, the group associated with the futuristic NEOM tourism-driven enclave near the Red Sea, is investing in an undisclosed amount of boom supersonic 
the U.S. startup working to bring a supersonic passenger jet, jet to commercial service. Um, Boom said it raised more than $700 million to date with the completion of its latest funding round, uh, the size of which the company declined to reveal. Further development to put Boom's Overture aircraft into commercial service around 2030 will require as much as $9 billion, co-founder and chief executive Blake Scholl told The Messenger. Another uh, news source. He declined to reveal the company's valuation or if it has begun a new fundraising round. New airplane development is not inexpensive, he said. The four-engine overture aircraft is designed to carry as many as 80 passengers at Mach 1.7, primarily across the Atlantic using sustainable aviation fuel. Trans-Pacific flights will require a refueling stop. The overture will cruise at a slower speed than Concorde, which last flew in 2003, but is designed to operate more efficiently so that ticket prices are comparable to current business class fares, according to Scholl. The investment comes only weeks before Boom plans to fly its XB-1 demonstration aircraft for the first time before year end. The demonstrator, which is powered by three GE Aerospace jet J-85 engines, hey, I've, I've uh, flown jets with those, the T-38, uh, is a smaller platform to test technologies planned for the larger Overture jet. Boom has been performing high-speed ground testing on the aircraft in Mojave, California, reaching a top speed of 94 knots in recent weeks ahead of the first flight test. Boom hasn't disclosed a date for that flight, but Scholl says it's one of several milestones for the XB-1 program to achieve before hitting a supersonic speed in 2024. Uh, he said, uh, we're real darn close. We're on the one-yard line on this program. Uh, uh, they're in, in uh, gridiron football. There are 100 yards from end zone to end zone, and they're on the first yard line, and hopefully they're pointed in the proper yeah. direction. Yeah. Because that's 99 if you go You only the have one way. to go instead of 99. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only one to go. I'm assuming that's what I'm getting from this. <laughs> he goes, oh, wait, no, no, no. I told you we're only on the one yard line. Um, anyway, and then goes on, the article goes on to talk about you know, in other investors, competition, that sort of thing. And, but it's still uh, alive. We, it's yes, cool. it hasn't died yet. Um, it, it's Boom has told customers, American and United Airlines, that it plans to attain U.S. certification of the aircraft by the decade's end. Combined, the two airlines have paid deposits for 35 overture orders and hold options for 75 more. You know, I'm still, I have to admit, kind of skeptical. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, they haven't aimed particularly high in this goal of theirs. I mean, it's a 1.7 Mac aircraft with 80 passengers. Um, you know, that's considerably less than we achieved, uh, you know, um, in the last century, not this century. So it's, it's a shame. I, I probably say um, they're obviously very concerned about noise. And they're concerned about, you know, the fuel consumption when you want to go faster. It costs a lot of gas. Um, but um, I, I, and I'm really unsure as to where, if there'll be a sufficient market for these aircraft. But I, we'll, we'll see, I guess. Yeah. I think that maybe you suspect the same thing I do, that these companies, American, United, and, and what other, other companies they've had orders from, uh, you know, is it, are they real orders? 
or mm. is this just something that they want to vapor orders? Yeah, you know, like a yeah vaporware kind of thing where they just want to yeah think make people think that they're they're yeah, into it, this new technology. You know, is it like phoning up and booking a table? <laughs> So, and then and not arriving. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forgetting to cancel the reservation. Yeah, exactly, are, are you yeah. familiar with this uh, this, this <laughs> method? Well, okay, indeed. I don't know. Well, you know, if they do, if they are successful, it looks like they're going to. Uh, this company based in Colorado uh, intends to open its Overture Super Factory next year in Greensboro, North Carolina, well, and begin production uh-huh. in 2025. So, uh, yeah, we know some folks in the yeah. in the, the triad area. I bet it's mm-hmm. probably close to that uh, that uh, Yeah, they'll have to practice place. their fast speaking technique if they're going <laughs> to yeah. have to deal with supersonic aeroplanes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, this... <laughs> we're, we're getting to the wildlife section of the news. Yeah, wildlife uh, uh, segment of our show. Uh, this was sent in uh, by a couple of our APG community members, uh, Sam Dawson and uh, Larry Geezer, who said, quote, this story was so sad it made me blubber. <laughs> and you'll see why that that's funny in a second. Um, it looks like uh, there's a whale on the runway at a seaside Pacific Northwest airport. This is from Flying Magazine. The large mammal has washed up near the sand runway area at Copalis Beach, Copalis. I've never heard of that in Washington State. Um, pilots who intend to head to Copalis Beach. By the way, we've had this in our news folder for a, a little weeks. while. Uh, yeah. yeah, November yeah. twenty-four when it was this was published. It's, it's a bit so I don't know. Now. I'm yeah. hoping that they've figured out how to <laughs> take care of the situation by now. Uh, but anyway, uh, pilots back then who intended to head to uh, Copalis Beach in Washington state might want to reconsider as a deceased whale has washed up on shore in close proximity to the stretch of sand used as a runway. According to the Washington state department of transportation, aviation division, the deceased, um, Oh, how do you, how, uh, uh, do you know how to pronounce that? Anybody? I, I've lost no. where you are in the, Oh, it's, um, well, I've, I've uh, highlighted it. I don't know if you can oh. see my, Oh, I, no. C- I cetacean. Know. It's cetacean. Cetacean. Oh, like a, like a, um, um, a Cessna cetacean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's oh, the one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The deceased cetacean is a fin whale. Oh, all the way from Finland. Uh, according Ooh. to whale Hang facts. Hang on, man. I thought it was a fat or- whale. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's very thin. It's very thin. It's, it's, very thin. It's, it's, okay. Yeah. Well, the why fin, is it such a problem then? I don't understand. I don't know. But not only is it a fin whale, but it's a b- baleen whale that can grow baleen, up to baleen. or baleen, of course, baleen. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, can grow up to ninety feet long and weigh up to one hundred and thirty tons. That's Ooh, almost as much a, as a Cessna. Yes. <laughs> well, a little bit more than a. Uh, Cessna cetacean, um, <laughs> making them making them the second largest whale in existence after the blue whale. Wow. Washington DOT has issued a warning to pilots about the whale on the runway, noting, we're asking pilots flying into the airport over the holidays to use extreme caution, as officials will be working to determine the cause of death of the whale, while other pedestrians and beachgoers could be in the area. Okay. That's right. uh, Copalis Beach Airport's located 15 miles north of Bowerman Airport in Hoquiam. 
H-O-Q-U-I-A-M, Hokiam. Uh, Copalis mm-hmm. is one of the airports that state manages and the only beach airport in its system where aircraft are allowed to land legally. Um, mm. State wildlife officials add that at this time they will be allowing the whale to decompose naturally. Oh, that could Ooh. take some time. Maybe maybe this has not been resolved by now. No. That was only a few weeks ago. Anybody live um, near there? Let us know. Yeah, it's probably going to smell wonderful. You, you know why uh, they do that, don't you? No. Uh, they let them decay naturally. Well, the Oregon Highway Division once used dynamite to remove the carcass of a 45-foot oh, yes. sperm whale that washed ashore <laughs> near Florence. And I remember seeing the video of huge lumps of whale flying through the air and landing amongst the enormous crowd that had gathered to watch the blowing up of this whale. It was an absolute disaster. According to cameraman Doug Brazil, uh, shooting 16 millimeter film, they were a quarter of a mile away from uh, the whale at the time of the explosion. Quote, we were running away when we heard a tremendous, a second tremendous explosion in front of us. A piece of blubber the size of a coffee table hit the top of an Oldsmobile and completely flattened the roof. <laughs> wow. Uh, Neil, Neil says, Neil says, forget the blowing up, but sometimes they do it on their own when they're decomposing. They, oh, I they, guess they he said decomposing whales have been known to explode, according to Neil in our, wow. in our uh, live audience. Thank you, Neil, for that. Yeah. Hmm. I'm just thinking of the stench that. Oh, uh, yeah. Now I, no, I'm curious yet. to know whether this whale arrived via the ocean or whether it fell out of the sky. And if it fell out of the sky, uh, did it? Was it accompanied by a um, bowl of petunias? And did it think to itself, "Oh no, not again"? Is this some kind of obscure UK reference? Well, it's. <laughs> Not entirely UK, but I'm sure some of our listeners will have read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, okay. I've I've seen the movie, but not... Oh, well, it's probably in the movie as well. Is it in the movie too? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember that. A whale falling out of the sky with a bowl of petunias. Tanya got it. Tanya got it. Ah, Oh, well done, Tanya. Tanya's on it. (laughs) Well, she's she's she, that girl smart. Right there. Neil she's saying, smart. Yeah. Imagine yeah. the insurance claim. Hit by yeah. whale blubber. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I think the people that sent this in are blubbering idiots. <laughs> and that's not our only that's wildlife story. And that's and not. The geezer. Our, our producer is making the point that we have a chalk-filled um, animal aviation segment on today's show uh this one from oh paddle your own canoe again yeah. Uh-oh. um a taiwanese man has been arrested at bangkok's savarnabhumi airport how'd i do on that did i do all right savarnabhumi yeah i like it. Nailed it after he was busted trying to smuggle a prairie dog and two otters in his pants <laughs> okay the tw- this. this I love this part. The 22-year-old tourist was stopped by security officers before he could board his flight to Taipei. After they became suspicious about the unusually large bulge in his pants that that was wiggling around, <laughs> that's something you don't normally see—a very large well, bulge. I don't know. You obviously haven't lived in Yorkshire for very long because <laughs> okay. 
in Yorkshire, they um, they have a habit of um, tying string around the knees of their trousers and then putting ferrets uh, into their trousers, and uh, it's a it's a well known Yorkshire thing. Um, Why would they so, do that? Uh, I don't know. Actually, just it's, amusement. They don't have much can. going on up there. Because you can. <laughs> Because you can't. It gets pretty boring in the winter, I think, up there. Yeah. Neil Landward okay. says, is this a story about a twin otters? <laughs> <laughs> twin otter. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good, uh, Neil. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the man was initially subjected to a series of scans that indicated something was amiss. And then customs <laughs> officials strip-searched him, revealing the two Asian small clawed, which is a good thing, That's good. otters. And a prairie dog that he had tried to hide in his underwear. Wow, he must have very Why? large underwear. Uh, Thai officials said the man was trying to get on a Thai Airways flight to Taiwan with the animals in breach of regulations that are designed to project, uh, protect endangered, blah, 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 protect endangered and exotic wildlife. The suspect is now facing a slew of charges brought under Thailand's Customs Act, Animal Epidemics. Act and the Animal Conservation and Protection Act. Uh, Thailand is not. I was at first. I was going to read this as Thailand is now a gateway to smuggle exotic animals out of the country, but it's actually Thailand not. is not a gateway to smuggle exotic animals out of the country. Explained. Fantangnangkunant, a spokes nailed it. Spokesperson for Thailand's Customs Departure <laughs> Department. We will catch anyone who tries to take animals on planes, according to that guy. Um, anyway, let's see. In October, uh, you'll recall, it wasn't that long ago, and I think we did talk about this, two passengers managed to get through that same airport and onto a Viet jet flight to Taipei. I guess Taipei, they just love these yeah, they like crazy exotic wildlife. animals. Yeah. Uh, with a whole menagerie of exotic animals, including 28 turtles, two otters, several rodents, a snake, and a marmot, and a, a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> I, I had the uh, sound clip ready for that one, not this one. Uh, the couple were only caught when the two animals uh, managed to escape during the uh, when two of the animals managed to escape during the flight to Taiwan. But all those weren't in their pants, surely. Yeah, they didn't have them in their pants. They had them in luggage or something. Oh. I think. Yeah. Tim, Van, Tim well, Van Ram needs to sh wants to share. A Tim comment. Van Ram says another opportunity for me to add again uh, that naked man running through airport turnstile is going to Bangkok. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, he is for sure. He definitely is. <laughs> every time, Tim. Every time. Every time. By the way, yeah. uh, the sport uh, was known as ferret legging. And it's an endurance test or stunt when ferrets were trapped in trousers worn by a participant. Uh, in the 70s, the uh, record stood at 40 seconds. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a few years later, it had risen to over a minute and to eventually 90 minutes in 1977, Edward Simpkins from the Isle of Wight, not even from Yorkshire, set a new world record of five hours and ten minutes, although he only had one ferret in his trousers during the first four hours. Yeah, probably his deadly gas emissions put the wrong thing. just killed it. <laughs> Well, it's a bit like uh, smoking bees when you go to collect the honey, isn't it? 
Uh, Steph should like be that. here. She likes competitions. Yeah. I something don't know if she like can enter yeah. this one. Yeah, you're right. Steph is very competitive. She, she If she were living over there, she'd probably be, be one of the contestants. That. Yep. Oh, <sighs> okay. Well, <laughs> uh, speaking of Steph, she is on her way. We had yep. an update from her, but traffic is quite heavy today on a mm -hmm. Tuesday in at the yep. Charlotte, North Carolina area. area. But uh, we're going to just keep on moving on uh, to... Getting to yep. know us. Here we go. We have a couple things to talk about. Uh, it's the time of the show where we kind of get all caught up on what everybody's been up to since oh, in between shows. And the last show was only four days ago, believe yeah. it or not. I just barely got the previous episode published uh, before we started recording this one. Um, sorry about that, folks. I had a very busy... Well, I'll just go right into it. I had a very busy... Um, latter part of last week and um, and a busy weekend and uh, sang at, I think, what did I say? One, two, three, four, eight five, like five. six masses over the weekend and then uh, the two days before another two, so like eight eight masses in four days or something. Actually, and then, and take then that back. I was also uh, a singer or the singer at a funeral uh, on Monday. Not your own. Not my own, yeah, thankfully. Um, and uh, <laughs> What song would you sing at your I own funeral, Jeff? The party's oh, over. How dry I am. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'd sing. Anyway, um, you know what's funny? No, not funny, um, but uh, peculiar. I, I don't know. Peculiar. Uh, peculiar. Peculiar. <laughs> peculiar. That that, peculiar. That, that's it. Yeah. Well, anyway, what's odd about this whole thing? I guess not even odd. Anyway, I when I was asked by um, a fellow choir member at uh, St. Peter Chanel to sing at her father's funeral at a different parish church, I I don't know what I had in my head, but I didn't think that I was going to be, you know, like a soloist. soloist. I'm not really a solo singer. Um, you know, but I can do it if nobody else is singing <laughs> when I'm singing. <laughs> That's kind of the definition of it, yeah. I know. But I mean, it, you know what I mean? I think you understand that there are people that have voices that are like solo voices for singing. Mine is not. And uh, mm. I've done a few little solos here and there singing. Now, it, when you know, trumpet playing, oh yeah, I'll do solos all the time. I love that. Um, but anyway, I showed up to the to the parish church and went over a few of the things with the, um, the organist, um, and uh, who's an awesome guy. He's 80 years old and yeah, he didn't look, I mean, he looked maybe about my age, a little bit, a little bit older, but he was in pretty good shape for his age and, uh, just a beautiful organist, not beautiful looking, but beautiful performance. And I mean, he was beautiful looking too. You were strangely attracted. Well, I'm sorry. Hope he doesn't take offense to that. Um, or anybody takes offense to that. Why, why am I now solo? Did I somebody don't know. Just solo Captain me? Nick has gone audio oh, only Captain Nick for some is, um, oh my, he, uh, he's, uh, he's gone. Well, he's actually sort of there. I don't know where he is. Anyway. There's oh, there back. he is. He's back. That was odd. All right. Did, this, did you do the swipe? No, no, it was something to do with the camera. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you're back. Um, anyway, uh, so we go over these things, and then finally, it just it just kind of hits me that um, that the choir director there, who was a choir director at my uh, oh, previous previous parish, um, 
before the one I'm um, a member of now, um, he uh, is now at this particular church, and he did sing some of the mass, you know, he was singing the mass parts and that kind of thing. So it wasn't just just me, uh, but we each of us only sang solos the whole the whole mass. We never sang together, and uh, yeah, never sang together. And uh, I don't know. I mean. I'm not sure if I, I did a good job or not, but I, I hope it wasn't too bad. Uh, <laughs> but um, that was that was a challenge for me, and um, I wish I had prepared a little bit better. But regardless, that was a uh, mass number nine. What, would that make that nine? Nine. Okay, over the five day period. So Ben business singing for sure, okay. and. Um, yeah, that's about it. Singing and editing, oh, I had, that's it. I also, yeah. uh, on Saturday, uh, got to meet up with my daughter, my youngest daughter, Natalie, um, at a local restaurant here in historic Roswell, and her friend, Hannah, and uh, they know each other from work or their previous um, employer. And uh, so she was a very nice young lady, and uh, we had a nice little midday brunch at a, a fashionable historic Roswell eatery. And, um, so that was, that was nice to see her and got this t- just today. Um, and I, I don't know if, if, uh, Greg is still with us. I think he's on an airplane yeah, he's between Atlanta now. and Los Angeles. And he's, he was cursing at the Wi-Fi in-flight Wi-Fi a little while back. So hopefully he's still here with us. Uh, but he, um, texted me and said, uh, I know you're recording today, but I'm traveling to LAX on Acme today and won't be able to join the live show. I meant to send an email and just realized I forgot to send it, but was going to provide an update to the story about the Air Atlanta flight that had to return to JFK. The horse sustained significant injuries and had to be euthanized when they got back to JFK, which is sad. Uh, you know, but we were kind of left with, well, what happened to the horse? And people were saying that oh, was fine. Um, oh, and the other thing I wanted to say, Nick, I know you were trying to explain to me, and I think in the in our our Unity channel, comms channel, about uh, air, why this this airline is Air Atlanta, and it's something to do with that's the female version of Atlantic. Well, that's kind of what I found on in Google. Okay, yes, that makes sense. Now it doesn't have anything to do with the. Greg city is of still here. He's he's present. In the oh, chat. well, that's where I that's where I us. got it from. I got it from an explanation by the city of Atlanta how they got their name. Oh. And it was our name is the female uh, of Atlantic. So wow, you know, you'd think somebody who has lived living, yeah, who, who <laughs> in, in the Atlanta area and worked in the Atlanta area for thirty-five years would know that. Well, there you go. If you do thought now. that. You'd, it's on you'd one be of wrong. the <laughs> city of Atlanta website. Okay. Now, well, now, cool. Jeff, I should, we, ha- I should we have, have some that. bad news from Dr. Steph. You might oh, want to read news your from Dr. Uh, text there. Okay. Let me see. And there's a complete with picture. Okay. So this is from Steph. Um, oh, she's giving me a thumbs down. She's in front of her computer. She said, I'm not sure what to do, but this isn't going to work. Go up up and she'll give the explanation. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Good news. I finally made it home, passed a random detour, and also the fire department blocking part of my road while they attend to something on an adjacent side street. Bad news. I think my mouse is dead. (laughs) Oh, 
not part of our animal segment. Um, And I can't get my spare to connect either. Has rendered my computer basically unusable. This pretty much sums up (laughs) my Tuesday. (laughs) Oh, no. uh, You know, I should probably share... This, yeah, share uh, that this photo. Kind of, I think she. This kind of says it. everything, really. Yeah. Um, it does. So let me. Uh, where, where, where are we? Here we are. We're going to present, and we're going to share the screen. Yeah, Looks Greg, like Greg Steph at, doesn't have a trackpad either. What a shame. Greg is at Greg is at thirty-two thousand feet over Arizona right now. Oh, okay. Thirty-two thousand feet over Arizona. <laughs> He's well on his way. Oh, There's poor, our lovely doctor Steph. Steph. She doesn't look very happy at all. Nope. Um, She's dead in the water. Oh, she has got a trackpad. Yeah. Well, obviously, so a trackpad that's not doesn't working work either. either. Good Lord. Well, that's weird. A trackpad oh, and no. a mouse. Turn it off and turn yeah. it on again. Yeah, exactly. I would imagine oh. she's already tried that, but just in case you haven't, Steph, shut her all down <laughs> and restart it. See what happens. Hope and, for the uh, best. You know, Good luck. If you want to. If you want to come on uh, in, with your phone or whatever, just let me know and I can give, give you a code. But um, gosh, we've we've missed you, Steph. We want you to be with us. Yeah. Um, that's Indeed. the look on our face now. Mm. It is a trackpad, she says. Okay. Oh, um, it is a trackpad. So she's in the, the, she's in the chat now. Yeah. Uh, okay. She is in our chat. Well, at least she's sort of with us. Yeah. Okay. In spirit. All right, Steph. You know, you're running out of excuses. Yeah. You're going to have dead. to join us at some point. <laughs> That's it. Next time, you have no excuses. you got to be here. Okay. So, Godspeed on your trip to Los Angeles and back, Greg. And, and as I mentioned earlier, um, I don't know if it's going to work out for me to rendezvous with you in uh, Atlanta on Friday. But, uh, you know, I'll let you know if I can work that out. Um, Captain Nick. What have you been up to, sir? Uh, not a great deal, actually. Um, oh. I've been busy, but, um, you know, just trying to catch up with a lot of the things we do before Christmas uh, and, um, you know, uh, finish off a few loose ends of uh, things I've promised to do for other people, uh, which I have more or less managed to do. Um and uh, like you say, it's only been a few days, so uh, that's that's absolutely fine. Looking forward very much to tomorrow, getting together with friends uh, at a curry house, and I will endeavour to take some pictures because they're all um, friends of ours, and uh, I will take some, make some audio as well. I hope, and then you'll see exactly what I got up to. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Uh, so looks like, uh, well, let's, oh, we didn't talk about the cover art from our last episode. Oh, that's, I dashed that off in, in, I tried to do it this morning. It took me an age, would you believe? Because we had lots of suggestions to do with, um, single pilot operations and how you go to the Mm -hmm. toilet, uh, which is kind of like asking, uh, an astronaut. How do you go to the toilet in space? Uh, and we were all wondering how, if we, if someone managed to f- make it legal for an airline to fly around with only one pilot, uh, what happens if we, we need to go to the toilet? So uh, <laughs> I, we came up with the idea that you'd need a toilet uh, on the flight deck. And if you're going to 
be sitting on the toilet you could actually be at the controls in which case it would be your your uh, <laughs> it Captain's would be throne. your seat wouldn't it mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so your throne it would be your throne um but i had a lot of trouble getting um the ai image producing software to uh, they're quite prudish you know oh. if you put in search terms that are even the slightest bit dodgy uh, he goes, eh, eh, we're not going to let you do that. So well, they know, <laughs> I they tried know you to, pretty well, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was Only trying you, all Captain sorts Nick. of yeah. things. I was like uh, uh, pilot on the flight deck with no trousers, pilot on the flight deck wearing a nappy, pilot on the <laughs> flight deck sitting on the toilet. And it just kept going, no, um, that's too rude. That's way too rude. So hmm. that's the best I could do, which was... He's got a happy-looking face there. He's having a good time. Is it just me? Oh, well, the, yeah. This guy, this animated person in your uh, illustration, kind of reminds me a little bit of Obama. He has that <laughs> Obama look to him. I don't know why. Oh, just... no, I think he's got a, a, a different jaw. And, uh, okay. Uh, I don't yeah, think... Just, I mean, it's I a good-looking man, uh, you know, just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a happy-looking man. Yeah. yeah, he is. I think he's only wearing a towel uh, around his bottom half. I don't know for sure, but uh, and he's oh. called the pilot because there's only one of him, of course. The captain. And then oh, on the yeah. side of yeah. his very fancy-looking throne, he's got a big button, which looks like one of those buttons that you get on a Japanese toilet, which uh, has all sorts of different cleansing op. Uh, um, options uh, and it's marked flush so uh, that uh, accounts for that uh-huh. anyway th- so that was the concept for the captain's throne the latest artwork there's, there's our APG logo. well we have more Nick there's more to talk about there's look really? at your screen a, oh your golly screen. oh okay well well I actually I had to spend ages fixing that hat because they produced the weirdest hat on him, and of course, add the APG logo, and now you've got to go find the show number. Oh, well done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I, the question I, is that 567 or 597? Well, we know. Well, I don't know. I don't see a little line on the no, uh, right of that. I would have said no. six, but I'm thinking it's probably nine since well, the episode was nine. <laughs> 597. <laughs> so. Assuming that. So there you go. For those of you who hunt the number, there it is. Although you haven't had long to hunt it because it only went out this morning. (laughs) That's what's a good, you know, I wasn't really quite ready for it until just a couple of hours ago. I haven't even put it on Instagram yet. Uh, So uh, there you go. Yeah, I, I, I... I, I texted Liz and I'm thinking maybe I just because I was so busy the last several days I'm thinking maybe I just missed it. I said did did Nick ever put out a uh, come up with the cover art for the last episode? And she goes I don't think so. So no. Anyway, that was, great uh, that great was, job. That was me doing it in a panic this morning. No. I really loved it. I mean I thought it was a great cover. So thank you very right. much again. Cheers. Before you As talk co- coffee fund. Tim yep. Van Ram has some advice for Steph. Tim Van Ram has some advice for Steph. Steph, I hope I hope you're listening here. He said he's heard putting a ferret in your pants can reboot a mouse. Yeah, I've never uh-huh. heard that myself. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I'd be very, very careful about, um, you know, taking any advice from Tim Van Ram. Yeah. Trust yeah. With me. a big Trust grain of salt. One. Big grain of salt, yeah. All right. And, coffee um, fund. We're coffee talk fund. About it. Yay. Let's talk about all the people 
joining the coffee fund. <laughs> Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. More people are leaving, actually. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the coffee fund. It's your way, dear listener, if you feel compelled and have resources available to support us financially. And a couple of different ways to do that. One's called the Coffee Fund Classic Method. The other is called Becoming a Patron of our show via Patreon.com. Both methods you can uh, learn about on our website, airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. And since the last episode, we have... Nobody. Nobody. Crickets. those four days. And this poor, this poor... Uh, Little Doogie with a with a Santa hat on in front of the fireplace is very, very sad that you haven't used the coffee fund. So I'm just gonna let it stare at you and kind of tug at your heartstrings. What is a heartstring? I don't know. Yeah. But they get tugged a lot. <laughs> they do get tugged a lot. Okay. Anyway. Uh, again, thank you for all of you who have participated in the coffee fund in the past and are currently still coffee bar clubbers. And for those of you considering it for the future, we do appreciate it. And we wish you a Merry Christmas and happy holiday season. Captain, incoming message. Thank you. All right. First uh, item in our feedback today is sent in to us from Anthony. And uh, the title of the subject of his feedback is Two Emergencies. He said, figured this was right up your alley to discuss. I know that sounds kind of personal. Um, So we're going to have a listen to this video with uh, live ATC audio. You can see ATC. Oh, you can see ATC. I don't know. Somebody can see it. Uh, do I need to read this? Uh, looks like an American Airlines Airbus A321 Neo registration 435 uh, Alpha November performing flight 2006 from Washington Reagan National Airport to Phoenix Sky Harbor in Arizona was descending towards Phoenix when the flight crew declared an emergency and reported a flap failure. About 50 minutes later, when 2006 was in the vicinity of final, an American Airlines Airbus A319 uh, registration November 762 Uniform Sierra performing flight 1038 from Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport to Guadalajara um, after departure reported low oil pressure and quantity on the number two engine and requested return to Phoenix. The pilot said that the situation was super time sensitive. American 1038 landed safely at Phoenix on runway 8 and about seven minutes later, 2009. I thought it was 2006. Yeah, that's a different number. (laughs) Well, it's either 2006 or 2009. (laughs) Okay, landed on runway 7 left. Uh, And then he adds, important uh, position and altitude of the airplanes may not be accurate. We don't show 
uninvolved airplanes. Unnecessary communications were trimmed. The video is based only on ATC communications and data from flight tracking services and only shows how the creator of the channel sees the situation. Uh, this video was made only for the purposes of education. Okay, there we go. So now I'm going to hit this. Lay away. Probably wait for a few seconds for this whole thing to start. And again, audio is from liveatc.net, a fantastic service. Here we go. American Airbus. Uh, oh, American 2006. 2006. American 2006, Phoenix. Yeah, I'd like to declare emergency at this time. We have a flat failure. 2006, Roger. Stay still remaining and souls when able. Welcome, American 2006. Oh, by the way, I'm going to pause this for a minute. Now, you may think this is not a big deal, but think about it. Airplanes, they're like birds. How do birds fly? They flap their wings. So they have a flat oh, failure. So they're oh, no, falling out of the sky. Flat the wings. <laughs> I know. Two thousand six. Descend at pilot's discretion. Maintain one zero thousand. Speed your discretion. One zero thousand. American two thousand six. Okay, there's some transmissions missing. I'll cut this stuff out. American two thousand six. Uh, one ninety seven on board. Two hours fuel. 2006. Are you ready to land runway 8 now, or do you need to delay or anything? Uh, well, we're trying to get ready by the time we get there. 197 on board, two hours of fuel. Copy that. Thank you, America. 2006. And uh, do you want a long final or anything special? Please. Sounds good. 2000 and uh, uh, this frequency, American 206. Thanks. Okay, we missed the ATC transmission. American 2006. I'll just box you around over top of the final. You let me know when you're ready to come in. Okay, thank you, American 206. Very accommodating. Okay, it seems that American 2006 decided to hold hold west of the field. American 2006, turn right heading 200. Right turn 200, American 2006. They're doing their checklists. American 2006, contact approach 124.1, no box here around. 124.1, American 2006. Meanwhile, American 1038 and Airbus A3. American 1038, wind 1005, runway 7 left, clear for takeoff. Clear for takeoff. Clear for takeoff, 7 left, American 1038. Rolling down the runway. The other American flights out there American holding. American 1038, contact departure. I'm getting boxed American around. American 1038, adios. Adios. Hi, it's going to Guadalajara. 2006, fly heading uh, 270. I'm going to move you out to the west about five miles for the hold. 270, American 2006. Hey, uh, departure American 1038. Right. Yeah, we've got a low oil pressure, uh, number two. Uh, we're going to need to return. 1038, Roger. Is it, uh, is it super time sensitive? Uh, yes, it is. 1038, Roger. American 2006. I cleared to hold, press position, left-hand turns, leg lengths are your discretion. And just let me know when you're ready to come out. Expect further clearance for now, 1800. All right. Uh, hold, present position, left leg, American 2006. Okay. And when you have those uh, leg lengths established, just let me know what you're going to be doing there. Okay, American 2006. Two emergencies. 838, uh, you are clear to the Sky Harbor Airport via radar vectors. Fly heading of a 190, maintain 5000. Heading 190, American 1038. 1038, when able, say uh, fuel and souls on board, please. American 1038, uh, 132, 
uh, souls on board, and uh, we've got uh, 23,400 pounds. 1038, flighting at 260. Heading 260, American 1038. American 2006, I'm going to keep you in the hold for a second. Your company's coming in. Got a got an issue. Roger. American 1038, contact approach 120.4. 20.4 American 1038. Can approach American 1038 with you 5,000. American 1038, Phoenix Express, expect ILS runway 8. ILS 8, American 1038. And we're going to extend out just a little bit if we could. American 1038, Roger. I plan to have you about six more miles on this down there, if that works. Yeah, that works for us, American 1038. American 1038, if you're ready for base, turn right heading 350. If not, let me know how much longer. Can we go out just uh, maybe about uh, three or four more miles? We're just running through this checklist. Okay, no problem. Let me know when you're ready. Okay. Do 10 minutes, American 2006. Appreciate it. Thanks. American 2006, we're trying to get runway 8 opened up for you for the uh, mechanical. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to need your longest runway available with the flight control problem we got. Understood. Thanks, dude. Just let me know if you need anything sooner. Yeah, uh, we'll let you know. We're Like I said, we're good for about 10 minutes, but we kind of want to get this bird on the ground when we can. Gotcha. American tw uh, 1038, reduce speed to 170. Roger, American 1038. American 1038, climb and maintain 6,000 for the MBA. I'm 6,000, American 1038. What's the MVA? American 2006, you're clear to Minimum vectoring altitude. Vector supply heading 075, maintain 8,000. 075 on the heading uh, at 6,000, American uh, 2006. American 2006, maintain 8,000 for now, please. Okay, uh, 075 on the heading and 8,000 for now, American 2006. Runway 8, localizer inbound. Right, zero five zero for the intercept, American ten thirty. I'm sorry, American two thousand six. Turn ten degrees to the left. Maintain eight thousand. Ten left, eight thousand. American two thousand six. For American ten thirty eight, we're clear for the LSA. American ten thirty eight, not yet. I've got some traffic going in on the right. Cool, medevac coming in yeah. as well. Yeah, it's a great day for everybody. Heading American 2006. So the controller told him about the other emergency, the other Seven American. miles from Balti, I'm sorry, from Jamil, cleared ILS runway 8 approach. Already cleared the uh, ILS 8, American uh, 1038. No, I think there was an additional aircraft not being shown there. American 1038, maintain at least 170 yeah. until um, was up. Contact tower on 134.85. Medical. 170 uh, until what's up and uh, 3485 American 1038. Okay, the one with the engine problem is getting close to landing now. Phoenix Tower, Clark Command. Clark Command, Phoenix Tower. Can you give us a uh, ETA on both of those? 
All right, Command, the EPA on the first aircraft is about uh, five minutes. It's on final. And uh, we're going to try uh, as much as possible to uh, hold off for runway eight for the second aircraft. But uh, for the moment, he's inbound for runway seven left, and I'll let you know on the EPA on that one. Okay, uh, I, I apologize. Cut off the uh, hello, Tower American, uh, 1038 with you free. 1038, Phoenix Tower, runway 8, clear to land, company short final, wind 130 at 4. Okay, clear to land, runway 8, American uh, 1038. And uh, just so you guys know, we lost uh, uh, oil pressure and uh, quantity on the number 2 engine. American 1038, thank you. And there is emergency vehicles on frequency. They have transmit and receive capability. Fantastic, thank you. Zero down to 7,000, American 2006. That's the original. American 2006, if you can, reduce speed not to exceed 170. Got with the flat problem. In fire command tower. Flight command go. Next aircraft on about a six and a half mile final is the emergency inbound American 1038. Six mile final. I don't think this depiction <laughs> is very accurate. Okay, copy. Uh, be advised, we're staging for uh, American 1038. Of a runway eight, and we've got uh, American 2006 coming in southern left. Is there any way we can uh, have American 2006 uh, just just stand by and burn some fuel, and then uh, that way we can make our way over there to move in against the emergency? American uh, correction of fire command. We're actually trying to circle the American 2006 and trying to bring him in for runway eight. Uh, he originally said that he needed seven left, so we're trying to work with him to bring him into eight, trying to keep it all standard. Okay, wait. I'm pausing this thing. I never heard from 2006 a request for seven left. Now, maybe that's one of the transmissions that we missed or something. Yeah, I'm guessing that you're, you're right, recorded. but uh, he does mention it um, later on. But uh, Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head. I know that Nick and I discussed this before we started recording today, but I'm thinking, I don't, because initially they were going to, they set them up for eight. Um, yeah, okay. Okay, copy that. That'll work out much better for us if we come here on the way. That's fine, Command. We understand. So as soon as I get an answer, I'll let you know. Much appreciate that. Wind 110 at 4. Copy. Approach American 2006. We'd just like to stick with 7 left now. we got it briefed up in the box. I don't want to change it back again. American 2006. Uh, I'll let them know. Change uh, it back again. So originally eight, and then they said, how about seven left? American 2006, thanks again. Contact approach 120.4. She'll get you turned in here in a, just a minute. 120.4. Hey, nice work today, guys. Appreciate the support. American 2006. Thank you, sir. That's nice. Approach American 2006, level 7,000 for uh, seven left. Approach American 2006, emergency, we're uh, checking in level 7, planning on 7 left. American 2006, Phoenix approach, descend to maintain 6,000, expect ILS to runway 7 left. Down to 6,000, we'll expect the ILS, uh, 7 left, American 2006, emergency. That's the original one, I think. American 1038, turn right, taxi straight into Juliet, this frequency, if able. Straight into Juliet uh, with you, uh, American 1038. Yeah, that's the engine. Okay. Go ahead for uh, American 1038. Okay, uh, we're standing by here on the side of the runway. Uh, is there anything we can do to help? 
Uh, everything looks good right now. Uh, so, uh, stand by. We'll just taxi into the ramp area, and uh, but uh, everything looks like it's just pretty much secured. Thank you. And fire command for tower. Uh, just be advised, 2006 needs runway seven left is what they're saying. Uh, so runway seven left is where they're going to be placing him. I don't have a sequence for them at this moment. American 2006, turn right heading 350, descend to maintain 5000. Right 350 down to 5000, American 2006. Phoenix Tower, Fire Command. Fire Command, Phoenix Tower. Okay, we've got all units off the runway and you could open runway. Okay. 85, American uh, 2006, good work, thanks. Thank you. Okay, switching the tower on 7 left. Fire Command, Phoenix Tower, emergency aircraft is next to land, about a 10 mile final. Next to land, uh, Fire Command, Cotter, Tower American 2006, uh, emergency on the front, uh, ILS runway 7 left. American 2006, Phoenix Tower, traffic holding in position, now will depart momentarily, wind 1006, runway 7 left, clear to land. Clear to land, 7 left, American 2006, emergency. Fire Command, uh, correction, American 2006. Fire Command is on frequency. They have transmit and receive capabilities if you have any further information for them. Yeah, we're just, it's going to be a uh, fairly fast approach, so we'll uh, go ahead and uh, stop on the runway straight ahead if, uh, if that's what they want. And then uh, I don't think we're going to need anything. We're going to have some uh, hotter than average breaks, so that's probably it. American 2006, Roger. If there's, uh, if you have the ability to taxi off the runway, uh, that would be best. Get out of the uh, way. On our side, but if you need to hold, that's fine and do what you need to do. Negative. Uh, our initial plan was to clear off onto Echo whenever we could, and then uh, we can talk to Fire Command from there. How's that sound? That sounds good. Thank you. Yay. Fire Command, did you copy any of that? Fire Command, copy. Thank you. All good. All right. They yeah. land on seven left. And, oh, no, they're going off the end of the runway. No, just kidding. <laughs> American 2006, say intention. I'd like to uh, taxi to Alpha uh, straight ahead so the fire department can check us out, and then we'll go to Alpha 7. American 2006, roger, exit, and then hold short of Delta 10 if you're able, and uh, we'll have them inspect you there. All right, hold short of Delta 10, American 2006. Thanks for your help. Fire Command aircraft is uh, exit here at Echo 10. They're going to hold short of Delta 10. They're waiting on inspection on uh, from you. Fire Command copies. Uh, we're going to send some units over there. To check them out. American uh, 2016 Fire Command. Hello. American 2006 uh, Fire Command reached out for you. Did you copy him? Uh, no, Nick. Uh, say again. I don't Fire think there's Command, much the else, Jeff. Okay. Uh, Okay, so we'll go ahead and just stop it there. Um, so basically what we have here is not that common to have multiple, like two different flights um, with emergencies at the same time. And then a medevac flight as well um, in, in, the, in the midst of them. Yeah, so it looks like, you know, the, the original 321neo, you know, said, hey, you know, give us eight. That is the longest runway. Um, there at um, uh, Phoenix. Oops, I'm sorry. Uh, this is the one I mean to put on there. There's the airport diagram for Phoenix. 
and uh, eight is uh, the uh, top runway there, and then uh, you see the uh, the concourses and terminal uh, terminals uh, between the, uh, the northernmost runway and then the southernmost runways, uh, the original runways there at Phoenix Sky Harbor. And, uh, so, you know, he originally requested eight, but because of all the issue with the, uh, guy that was having the engine problem, which was much more of a time critical type of an emergency, he, uh, had, um, uh, what's the word? Um, not preference. He had, um, higher priority. And, uh, then the other medevac, I'm not sure exactly where the medevac, uh, came into play, but I guess they probably landed on runway eight as well. And I think that somebody in approach control must have convinced the, um, 321neo to, uh, consider seven left because of everything happening up on, on eight. And so they probably said, okay. And then they reprogrammed all their flight management computers and everything else for that and probably briefed the, uh, runway seven left. And then they came back because the fire department guys wanted them to be on the upper, the northernmost runway eight. Uh, and they finally said, you know, nah, <laughs> let's just stick with seven left because we don't want to reprogram the box with the new runway. So they've already briefed it. They've already programmed it. And honestly, Nick, it's not that much shorter than runway eight. So they probably no, had that discussion. 11, 1200 feet. Yeah. And by the looks of it, uh, they didn't have a hugely um significant flat problem because uh, right. they were they were quite happy to accept a speed restriction of 170 knots and uh if uh, if they were happy flying around 170 knots they're obviously happy landing at a slightly lower speed than that so it's not significantly more than they would have landed uh, in the normal uh, run the mill Day, I wouldn't have thought. I'm assuming they their normal landing speed would be around 150 knots, perhaps a little less. Uh, so they're probably only landing 15 knots faster. I had a guess. I don't know exactly what the problem was, but I they obviously couldn't get all their flap out. And it it is uh, you know it's a problem with all aircraft type and the Airbus. Um, is very good if uh, the flaps come out at, um, at at a different rate. Obviously, it can be um, it can create handling difficulties because uh, you get more lift from one wing than you would from the other. So a, a lock comes on and and freezes the flaps where they've got to, uh -huh. uh, or it could have been a computer fault that just prevented them from uh, selecting uh, any more than they they got when they put the first few stages of flap down so um you know it's and it's it's not a within a runway that length it's not really a significant problem got plenty of runway to land on right it's pretty well handled by everybody yeah, yeah. i think every yeah everybody was i think it was very well hand, handled great communication between air traffic control and the individual pilot crews and everybody seemed to be very pleasant and nice and yeah just like a very yeah, cooperative happy day. and yeah. Uh, yeah doing their best just to get everyone sorted um yeah well speaking of happy yeah, and nice i mean i can't I, <laughs> I can't think of anybody nicer 
than this young lady here. Uh, <laughs> hello, Steph. Oh, hi, Steph. Hi. This is speaking of computer faults. Geez. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm experiencing some computer faults, and I, I have no idea how my audio quality is here. It's, it's not bad. It's good. It's yeah. actually nice. It's good, actually. Yeah. So I was searching around to see if I could find headphones that would oh, work you know. with my new iPhone, but it's yeah. only USB C, and I have like. I have, you know, some Bluetooth ones, but the microphone's not any better there than just... No, the, this sounds phone, really good. So. This but sounds good. Honestly, I'm probably just going to say hello and uh-huh. try to figure out my... Oh, no, computer. no. You have to do some feedback and let me go to bed, <laughs> Steph. Come on. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, my arm may fall off my uh, shoulder here from holding my phone, but that's okay. Um, no, I did want to say hello, and I'm sorry that I, you know... I you need know. one of these, Steph. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> just do me I, a favor. Just I'm kind of curious. So turn it 90 degrees. Uh, see if you get a landscape. I don't know if it'll. Yeah. Mm, no. I just said no upside down. <laughs> Whoa. Doesn't matter you're, which way I turn you're, it. You're making me sick to my stomach. Don't Woo. do that anymore. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> about Actually, to throw wait, wait. Up. Let me try it. Let me try this. <laughs> oh, there we there go. go. Oh, way. Hey, well done. That's even better. We'll oh, see more of you. <laughs> oh yeah, you're in your normal uh, position. We're in front of the uh, yeah, iMac. Yeah, still where I normally am. I just yeah. um, my computer for for uh, I think you read out what I wrote to you guys. Yes. But, um, my trackpad has died, and I actually think I knew that was probably going to happen at some point, and I should have been more proactive about it. Yes, because it's been should. requiring new batteries like on a weekly basis uh-huh. for some time now. Oh yeah, and all I've been doing is just you know, exhausting my supply of AA batteries mm-hmm. um, without really looking much further into it because it was working. And now it um, it just doesn't turn on. Anymore. Turns out that like- Steph, Dr. Steph is almost a, as good a procrastinator as I am. Maybe apparently, better. Apparently. <laughs> good so. job. Yeah, yeah. Job. Well done. And I have, a, I have a spare mouse. It's um, from my old Surface Pro, which I also can't get to turn on right now. I tried that as well. I can't remember the last time I turned it on. I don't yeah. know. But uh, the message that I'm getting is because it's not an Apple device. Uh, I have to see the documentation that came with the mouse or the trackpad. Um, I've done the whole, you know, connect the Bluetooth button thingy and nothing comes up on the screen. And Mm. even if it did, I'm not sure how I would navigate to it (laughs) because I have no like on-screen navigation functionality. I have a mouse cursor that's like stuck in the upper right uh, left corner at the moment well on your um, keyboard you look for that little nubby thing that oh no never mind that's the oh uh, yeah that's the, one uh, of those guys. That was windows the I, world uh, IBM, uh, <laughs> yeah the ibm thinkpad so, dos so. yes but yeah. no this is this is not ideal i don't know we can discuss offline at some point um mm-hmm. if you feel up to a uh, part two which i know i suggested last time and then still couldn't do because this yeah, is how we'll my just, life is going recently. So. Yeah, we're just going to do a short show. Uh, yeah. This will, this will be right. great for everybody, I think. Good, um, good. Yeah. So. Well, so well, just thanks. quickly before you go yes. and before your yes. arm falls asleep. Uh, yeah, I have to hold it quite high in this um, landscape as opposed to portrait mode. Otherwise, you're just going to look at my... Okay, well, if you want to go back to portrait, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> it's okay. Wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be lazy and just rest it here. There you go. Kinda, there we go. Okay. But yeah. The light. Okay, fair enough. All right, yeah. nice. Yeah, that's good. So um, you weren't with us on the last show, so we're, we're keeping track of this. 
I know uh, it's a lot of like, attendance sick, record. We have some sick, quite poor. We're, we're a little concerned about your attendance record, although you you are still ahead of uh, Miami Rec. Though you're not at the, you're not listed last on the attendance. Um, but uh, anyway, what have you been up to? Uh, just give us a quick uh, update on synopsis. Two mm-hmm. weekends ago, I was supposed to fly all weekend. The weather was garbage all weekend. Did not do any flying. This past weekend was not supposed to be my weekend to fly. However, one of the uh, the pilot who was supposed to be flying um, skydivers um, unfortunately had a funeral to attend on Saturday. So he messaged me first. He said, hey, I know you got weathered out last week. I haven't messaged anyone else yet, but would you want to take Saturday if the weather's okay? I said, sure, would love to. I'm, I'm around. Um, and honestly, it actually worked out pretty well that the previous weekend was weathered out because I'd been feeling pretty under the weather and miserable for like two weeks straight. And I was on the tail end of some sinus stuff. So that probably wouldn't have been ideal anyway. Um, but uh, short story, it's December and our weather here is not great in like December and January. So managed to fly, I think five loads on Saturday morning, which, you know, we were kind of on the edge of another approaching front and managed to hold off on that for for just a little bit and got a few few people up in the air and made their day a little bit. So um, that was good. It was good to do a little bit of flying because it's coming up towards the end of our season. And then I might not fly much between now and kind of end of January, unless there's some nice weekends here and there where they think it's worthwhile to open up on a kind of as, uh, not as needed, but just uh case by case basis. So which happened last year. I did a bunch of flying in January last year because we got to January and it was like 70 degrees Fahrenheit multiple weekends in a row. So we, we did that. Well, how was the office party last Friday night when you weren't here? Oh, I did. Yes, I did go to my, my work office party last mm-hmm. Friday night. That was a lot of fun. Um, it was good. I knew I was flying the next day. So I, um, I was responsible. Um, I don't yeah. believe the it. bartender was not very creative with his uh, mocktail, you know, mocktail selection. I kind of had to direct that a little bit, but that, mm-hmm. that works out okay. Yeah. See, mocktail um, means no alcohol. <laughs> correct. Yeah. He goes. He goes. Well, we have Sprite and club soda. I was like, Uh huh. Right. Okay. Yeah. Some other <laughs> stuff too. Stuff you could probably put in there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, What? What else is back there? Let's see. So. <laughs> Move out of my way. I get yeah. to see Steph taking over. Well, I was like, I was like, you know that like fancy looking holiday drink thingy with like the rosemary in it, like just make that, but like Without, minus the alcohol. Yeah. He goes, oh, okay, I can oh. do that. It's like okay. <laughs> that's like the first time, boom, he's heard of it. Right. <laughs> oh. Hey guys, this is the coolest thing. I fixed a drink, and this girl can't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. No, the holiday party was good. Flying on the weekend was good. Um, I was sick for like two weeks straight, which was not good. Mm. Uh, work is busy and my uh my computer's okay but my mouse is dead oh, yeah. so we'll, well, i hope your mouse gets we'll better up. you know no I, yeah. I think he's i think we can just go ahead and do the uh well i can send you another uh now. trackpad or something if no you no I'm, I'm gonna i've already <laughs> ordered one actually, oh, okay since i've been sitting here it's all good my trackpad's um, not good enough okay but okay. this is helping a little bit i got a uh let's see if i can find the camera here Ooh, all this day is the all day yeah. chill day which i needed to chill a little oh, bit after what's a, what's the difference between an all day and an ipa and a uh, all day chill a, day this is a cold ipa so the uh, brewing process is slightly different okay it's just marketing it's marketing (laughs) they make an all night ipa now or uh uh, which is quite good it's a little bit darker and what is that for insomniacs well 
I think you'll sleep eventually if you consume enough of them. But. Yeah, you got you just got to consume like, a lot more than yes, a regular yes. one. You can so. Go unconscious, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. So, um, but okay. yeah, I, I, this is a less than ideal setup. So um, yeah, we're probably not going to. Well, you know what? Um, yes, unless you I, have anything like very specific, I can cover in a, a few minutes here. No, no, no. Or, Let it go. Uh, I have no access nope. to Evernote I, either. I think so. um, producer Liz is um, saying that she's just getting completely fed up with all of this. And she says, I'm, <laughs> I'm out of on here. All of you. Yeah. She's, so she's, she's, she's writing us all of our names down on her. Yeah. Uh, her naughty, naughty list. Her naughty list. Oh no. Yep. Yeah, I know. Oh, no. So um, anyway, uh, so I think probably the best thing to do here is um, we did cover one piece of feedback. So, Hey, we got a feedback segment yeah. in. We got, yeah. we covered a bunch of news and got caught up with uh, the folks that could make it here today. And so I think it might be really nice to give an, a, an early Christmas gift to our, to our um, uh, community audience and uh, just go ahead and <laughs> shut down this thing Wrap it up. a little bit early and give them some more time to go out there and do some shopping. Uh, you can find, by the way, our shopping, um, our gift uh, request list. Registry, yeah. Registry, mm -hmm. gift registry for the APG crew by going to airlinepilotguy.com slash APG crew registry. I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to create that link. Very now. imaginative. But I'll, yes, I'll well make done. sure we get a, <laughs> no, we don't really have a list or a registry or anything. So anyway, um, get out there, spend time with your families and, uh, and just enjoy the holiday season. And... I guess uh, if, if uh, Steph is up to it, we can do a little bit of uh, social media uh, information for our can, wonderful people. I can manage that. Um, so, yes, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. You can also head over to X, formerly known as Twitter, now also known as Twixter or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Let's just call it um, X. <laughs> Let's just call it X. We yeah. probably need to change that graphic. Anyway, uh, we are at APG Crew, and you can find our individual handles pinned to the top of that page. We're also on Instagram. Uh, Captain Nick has been posting the show art there. That's APG Crew as well. And if you really want to get involved on a deeper level, get to know the APG community at large, um, I'm going to direct you to Slack, and I'm hoping that Hillel is, has not been absent without leave, tardy, um, now he always shows up. He's, 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 in, he's, he's here consistently for us. And uh, speaking of dropping down to a deep level, uh, we have Hillel, I believe, here to. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure enough. I hear, I hear the uh, shower. But, okay, hang on. Hello, can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. All right. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Jeff. What? I don't understand it. How can we be out of conditioner again? Oh, we'll talk after the show. I, I'm out of conditioner too. Oh, he. Steph's out of conditioner too. 
So don't even think about going over to her bathroom. Yeah. I've got and, plenty, but don't send him here, please. Yeah, well, you know the thing that kind of um, was a little upsetting? You said we are out of conditioner. Not he me. just lives there now. I know. Okay. Well, yeah, he might as well. He's a good guy, so happy to have him as a, as a roomie. Anyway, uh, so that's Slack. And uh, also, uh, Liz, make yourself available there. There you go. Here I am. Liz Good is to see you, there and Hi, she is awesome. Thank you very much for all the work that you do before, during, and after the show. And uh, we love you. We love Let's wait a little more than four days next time for the show, okay? Okay, yeah. Let's uh, have a little bit more of a space between shows. That's a good just idea. A little. Just a little more. All right. And uh, finally, uh, wishing you all happy holidays Clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Bye, buddy. See you next time. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline